0: Mac Power Users Episode Two Twenty Four: The Email Problem. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside David Sparks. Hey, David.
1: Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today?
0: I'm well. How are you?
1: I am. I can't wait to talk about email. I'm so excited. You know, yeah. email is. There's it's, no end to it.
0: It's the common, constant, chronic problem. And in fact, yeah. you wrote the book on email, and we're still here talking about email because you haven't solved all the email problems of the world yet, have you?
1: Yeah. In fact, that's why I wanted to do another show on it, because it's been a while. I am going to have an update out really shortly, but the real reason I wanted to talk about it is that it's still causing trouble in my life, and uh, and there's still some innovative stuff out there to help us, and I thought it was worth going back and kind of talking about it to the audience.
0: You know, I still think very fondly back to those epic email is how we got our start here on Mac power users that that epic three hour long, practically Mac power users episode. That was really one episode. We broke into two episodes that we recorded on email back in shows one and two. I think a lot of that is still relevant.
1: Um, Yeah, it is. And we also covered it on episode 164. You could go back if you want to bone up a little bit. But but, but there's some new stuff to talk about. And, And frankly, some of the older stuff is worth a little mention.
0: And so let's let's dive in and let's talk again about about email. So maybe maybe the first place to start, and, and I think we've started here before, so we won't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on this. But there there are still some. Let's talk a little bit about the technology related to email and email addresses and the type of accounts that you can get and and things like that.
1: Yeah, you need to have an understanding of of the underlying technology for the email you are using, because that's going to have a lot to do with which direction you go in trying to solve your problems. And that's easy enough to, to figure out if uh, you have a work account and they say, Hey, you're on the exchange and that's great. You're on exchange. You know, I'm not sure everybody knows what that means, but it's basically a Microsoft protocol for email. That's pretty good in a lot of ways. And then I think the top four though, are pop IMAP, Gmail and exchange. So Going down the list, and and if you don't understand these entirely, go back and listen to the prior show, or even read my email book, where I go into great length to explain these things. But but POP is is really the the, the terrible standard.
0: Post office and protocol.
1: The, and you get that with your usually the only way you can get it in twenty fourteen is probably with your cable provider. You know, your if you get a cable account, and they say, hey, here's your free email account. Well, a it's lot of the,
0: free email usually.
1: Cause yeah, there's still exactly. some free
0: places you can get email and then they upcharge it if you want to get IMAP.
1: Yeah. So, and and the problem with pop and once again, I'm making this very brief. So if you don't understand, go listen, go back and listen. The problem with pop is that the server um, is dumb and doesn't communicate with your computer. So once it sends the email down to you, it doesn't know what you do with it. And if you've got two devices, which is just about everybody anymore, if you've got a phone and a computer, for instance, Your email may come down on your computer and then it won't come down on your phone because the server thinks it's already delivered it. So it doesn't need to bother again or it'll deliver it on both of them. But when you delete it on one, it doesn't delete it on the other one because the server isn't smart enough to talk to your device and say, hey, Katie just deleted this on her Mac. So I should probably delete it on her phone, too.
0: Right. So if you're having trouble with your email staying in sync through across multiple devices, you might have a pop problem.
1: Yeah, and if you do, the solution to that is to get off of POP. And if you're doing it through your cable provider, call them up. Maybe you can pay a few bucks and have them, um, you know, switch it over. But I think the the smarter way to do that is to, to set up an IMAP account with one of the better IMAP providers. And that's the next kind of protocol. Um, and IMAP is one where the server and the computer talk to each other. So that problem I had before where Katie deleted it on her Mac and it didn't delete on her iPhone, that would be solved with an IMAP style server. And because IMAP and the computer are talking to each other. So if she deletes it on her computer, then the server gets notice of that and then tells the phone to delete it too. Or if she takes it and puts it in an action folder on her computer, the server gets of that and it moves the email to the action folder. So you don't have to process your email more than once That is a very brief description of IMAP, right. but it, it, it kind of gets the, the point across. And, yeah. and if you're going to do IMAP, I think probably the two I would choose between would be hover, which, you know, full disclosure is a sponsor of ours, but they're the ones that have been doing my max Sparky IMAP accounts for a long time. And that's been very stable for me. And Fastmail, which is another company out there, um, uh, that does really great IMAP service, and they've got some great web solutions.
0: And then there's kind of the the odd one out there is is Gmail, which a lot of people said, well, it's kind of like IMAP, it's it's pretty close to IMAP, but but it's really not quite IMAP. It's it's well, I IMAP like, but
1: yeah, exactly, not. and and that vector the the delta between them gets wider with time, (laughs) you know, yeah, that's Gmail. Gmail is an innovative company and they do a lot of stuff that I like. And, and, uh, you know, there's some smart people there who several years ago said, you know, email needs to get better. And frankly, I'm sure just internally, they deal with a lot of email at Gmail. So uh, at Google, so they came up with their own standard, which is this Gmail and, you know, it kind of works with IMAP, but it really kind of doesn't. And, Um, it's, if you're going to use Gmail, you need to stick with kind of Gmail friendly software. In my opinion, the best way to handle Gmail is on the web, you know, on iOS, they've got good Gmail apps by Google and on your computer, you go onto the web. I mean, I think that's the, the way that Gmail really needs to be handled. Now I'm going to hear from people who say, yeah, but there's these third party apps. Yeah. Mailplane is a good one. Uh, but I, I really think that, you know, to take full advantage of Gmail, you should be in Google's, where Google intends you to be. You know, just like there's things Apple intends you to do. Google intends you to be in the browser. So uh, Gmail in the browser is great. Now, well, I want to talk about IMAP and Gmail. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Katie. Yeah, Floyd.
0: Gmail gives you a couple of different things. And, and the biggest difference probably between traditional IMAP and the way that Google implements it through Gmail is that Google introduced this concept of tags, which was fairly new when they introduced it. And of course, now we have tags everywhere and and you can tag just about anything and tagging is built into the Finder in in Yosemite and has been for a couple of versions of OS X now. But where IMAP and and Google diverge probably most strongly is that the idea with tags in Gmail is that you could have something tagged multiple things. You could have something tagged Mac Sparky, you could have something tagged technology, and those two tags weren't mutually exclusive. Um, And through the IMAP implementation, those tags would then translate into folders. And you can't have something simultaneously in two different folders without having multiple copies of the same message.
1: Yeah, it's the old story. One folder, but multiple tags. And if you're somebody who likes using tagging, as Katie explained, you can put many tags on the same email where you can only put one email in one folder, which is what happens on IMAP. And that's why when you take a traditional IMAP client or application that deals with IMAP email and you plug it into Gmail, even though Gmail tries to make it worth on work on IMAP, sometimes silly things happen. Like it might make multiple copies of messages or things will just start breaking. And, and I guess in that regard, Uh, comparing IMAP to Gmail, IMAP in my mind, and I know that I'm going to hear about this from some of our smarter listeners because this really isn't true, but IMAP is kind of like the general standard for me. It's the one that a lot of these third-party applications are designed to work with. And and the problem is that not every IMAP implementation is the same. The way Apple does IMAP with your iCloud account, for instance, iCloud is an IMAP account, may be very different from the way Hover or FastMail does it. So, um... So the way these companies implement the IMAP standard may result in much, you know, shenanigans when you try to make it all work together. But in general, IMAP is a nice general protocol, and there's a lot of options in terms of of applications. Now, on the Gmail side, I think you're much more limited in terms of the ap- applications you can use to run it. But Google is fearless about trying to bring in new features. And, and one of the things uh, I asked about this on Twitter yesterday, and one of the things one of our listeners asked is what about inbox by Gmail? And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the show, frankly, is you just keep seeing all this innovation come out. And and Google has just announced this new inbox thing they they're doing. And it's really kind of a combination of features that we've seen. In other ways, but you know, Google's very good at pulling those features together. And because Google knows so much about you, they can do interesting things with it. And inbox is a way of kind of combining related emails. Like if you have emails related to a flight, it's going to put them together versus if you have emails re- relating to buying something on Amazon, they're going to put those together. So Google is trying to find ways to make email easier for you. And, and that is one of the solutions. It's not the only solution, but it, it's definitely one of them.
0: And then kind of rounding out this category, you've got Exchange. And Exchange is great for a corporate environment or a business or even small businesses. I know, David, you use Exchange in your office. I use Exchange in my office. It is also an IMAP-like implementation, although it is not exactly uh, conformity to the IMAP standards, but a lot of corporations and businesses like Exchange uh, because there are some great features in there for administrators. I know a few that that we have turned on is um, we have turned on a kind of what we call a legal hold archive feature. So no matter what happens when someone deletes an e- email from their in, uh, box, and then even if they go so far as to empty the trash. Well, that's fine, but that email is still always recoverable by an administrator who can, who can go in and search through the archives. And we can implement certain protocols. So, for example, only certain people can have access to message, to email. Uh, on their mobile devices. And in order to have access to email on your mobile devices, uh, we have the ability to remote wipe those devices, or we have the ability to require that you can only have access to messages on your devices if you implement a password. So it gives us um, some additional control and some additional security features, which for businesses are extremely important.
1: Yeah. And Microsoft has got smart the last few years and the way they're pricing it. And they're hosting, they host the exchange for you for, you know, a few bucks a month, you can have each person on it. So where before installing exchange in a business environment usually involved a server and a lot of other uh, processes. Now it's a lot easier to get into it. But I, I think that, you know, like I said, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on this section of the outline, but Uh, Going into this, understand POP, IMAP, Gmail, and Exchange, because as we go through this show, we're going to be talking about what works the best, depending on what technology you have. And the takeaway I would get from this is, if you're on POP, get off of POP. If you're on IMAP, you're fine. If you're on Gmail, you're fine. Uh, But you have more limited options, and you have more powerful features from Google. And if you're on Exchange, you're probably stuck on Exchange, because the people who write your paycheck... Uh, are the ones that are putting you there. So how are you going to deal with that?
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that is if you need to make a move, how do you make that move? And and where do you make that move to? Um, First off... I, I want to talk a little bit about where you can get an email account or or where you should get an email account. I mean certainly you can get a free email account from any of a number of places, you know, uh Google, Yahoo, Hotmail or which now maybe Outlook.com now I'm not I'm not sure where that is. Uh iCloud even. You can get a free iCloud.com you know, email account. Those are, those are all, you know, prospects. Uh, If you have your own domain name, you can usually add on email fairly inexpensively to your own domain name. Um, Or if you have your own domain name, you can usually uh, get a Google apps account. That's also fairly inexpensive. I think it's about 50 bucks or so a month uh, to, or I'm sorry, 50 bucks for a year to, to add on your own Google apps account. uh, If you prefer the Gmail interface to do things like that. So, um, where where do you suggest that I, I think the answer depends on what are you going to use your email for if you're going to use your email for a business, I absolutely think that it becomes part of your branding. And so you if you are branding yourself as a professional, don't want to have a, a free at Yahoo at Gmail at Outlook.com email address but but for individuals that that may not be so bad.
1: Oh. Yeah, and if you're listening to the show, you've probably already got an iCloud email, whether you're using it or not. And uh, Apple's iCloud implementation of IMAP works pretty well. I've used it on on uh, Macs and PCs and iOS devices. I've tested Android devices with it. It you know it works across the board, and you've already got it. So that that's an easy solution if you're looking for IMAP. Uh, a, a Gmail account, so they're they are free to get into. And we have gone on at length in the past about, you know, the fear of free Gmails, you know, that they are using that information to create marketing and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to do all that again. But, you know, that there is a cost to that free Gmail account. But that may be great, especially when you look at some of these features they've got. I know I'm tempted every time I read about what they're up to. And I have a few Gmail test accounts I use. Um, if you want to do your own, and I think this isn't something that you should necessarily give up on. I mean, for a lot of people listening, they're going to be like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. It sounds like a lot of work and expense. And, and it's not, if you want to set one up, for instance, let's say you have a domain, um, uh, you know, the Floyd family domain, and you, you've got to pay for that domain somewhere, uh, hover, which is one of our sponsors, but a, a really good responsible company, uh, would give you that domain for fifteen dollars a year or less if you bought it with our discount Mac Power Users discount. Um, the um, I don't are they a sponsor right now? I'm not sure that they even are.
0: No, they're not right now. See,
1: well, look at that. There's, you need to first, first, you need to to, to tell them. (laughs) And then, and so this is how I'm doing it personally, you know, and then, uh, you can get a mailbox added onto that and it's $20 a year to have a mailbox. So it could be Katie at floydfamily.com and her total investment for that would be $15 for the domain and $20 for the email for a year. And that gets you 10 gigabytes of storage. It's IMAP, you know, it's good stuff. It works really great. Fastmail is probably in about the same price range. I don't know if they do domains over there though. So you'd probably have to get the domain somewhere else and then hook it up. I guess it's one of the reasons why I like Hover is it's just all in one place and that makes it really easy.
0: Well, and you can even buy the Google apps now through Hover and they'll deal with the customer service and for it. This yeah. Sa- this and sounds like a hover ad. We need to be careful though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it to be. But you know, they also do email forwarding for just five dollars a year. So you could you could get a custom domain email for five dollars a year and forward it to your Gmail or your iCloud account if you wanted. Uh, so it's it's not, you know, it's not that expensive, I guess, is my point. And the nice thing about that is email that you own, it'll go with you forever. If you ever give up on your Apple device and move on to, you know, the Commodore you know, or the Atari 800, you can, you know, and you have iCloud, you've got a problem. But if you had your own domain, nobody's going to know. Uh, that being said, in my personal life, I'm just using my iCloud account and and .dot .Mac account and whatever, you know, iteration I'm in. And for my Mac Sparky world, I do have a custom domain and custom email. But if I was just doing it for myself and not using it for kind of a business, I probably wouldn't bother.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you talk about, there are a lot of people right now who don't like their current email account. I can't tell you how many people I know who are stuck with their cable or internet provider or DSL provider, whoever they may be, because they are terrified of losing their email address because it's the email address that they've had forever. You know, it's like their phone number or their address. You know, they can't, they can't lose it because that's where they've, they've been forever. But I, I used to be worried about this. I don't think that migrating to a new email account is is necessarily that bad is, as long as you've got some leeway to do it or some lead time, I should say, to do it. You know, I know Google is very good about importing uh, email from other services, particularly from pop services. They'll do that forever as long as you have access to the other email account. I say forever, but as long as they offer that service. Um, but you know, most email providers will allow you to forward messages from one account to another. And usually what, what I recommend people do when they're getting ready to move from one account to another is, you know, send out an email to all of their friends and family that they want to be able to follow them. Tell them, Hey, look, I'm, I've moved my email account, you know, update your address. Here you go. And realistically, some people will do that, but not many, uh, and then put an autoresponder on your old account, forward your messages for a while, and then let them go. If people want you, they'll find you.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not that friendly. I, I send it out to the people that I that make the cut, and I don't have an autoresponder. If they if the email account dies, then I guess they'll have to come looking for me.
0: The thing get, is, though, you, you, you probably need to make sure that you change it for all of your services, though.
1: Yeah, I think you and I had this discussion maybe in show one. Probably, <laughs> probably. I think you, you were much more uptight about it back then. Yeah, you don't you don't care as much anymore now.
0: No, I've I you know in two hundred and twenty four episodes of Mac Power Users, I've I've grown to like people a lot less. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> well, the um, I, I do talking think- talking to though, you, David
0: Sparks, will do that to me. No.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I have that effect on people. But the I do think that it's really not that big of a deal to change, and I do think that the. The important people in your life will figure it out. And if you're on a pop server, why make yourself miserable? I would rather, frankly, lose a couple of uh, people along the way and, and get my email on something that works because pop would just make you crazy. I mean, the idea of it in 2014, I don't even know what to say. It's nuts. Okay. So we've talked about migrating. Uh, everybody has a, a basic understanding of the underlying technologies. Now let's get into some more mechanics, but before we do that, let's talk about our first sponsor.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about something really cool. And we want to welcome back to Mac power users, uh, a former longtime sponsor and they're back again. Uh, the best launcher for the Mac our good friends over at LaunchBar. And I know this is the launcher that I use for my Mac and I use the proper keyboard shortcut, David, that would be command space. I know that you use another shortcut for Launch Bar, and I'm sure they'll forgive you for that, but it's still not the appropriate keyboard shortcut. But with a single keyboard shortcut, Command Space being the preferred one, it will allow you to access all of your files and folders on your Mac and allow you to perform complex actions without even taking your hands off your keyboard. So, a couple of things that you can do. With LaunchBar, you can access applications, you can launch documents, you can gain access to all of your bookmarks, and a whole lot more just by typing these short abbreviations. And best yet, LaunchBar learns the more that you use it. So it will learn that when I type "con," that it that I want to go ahead and open my contacts. But you know, I've been beta testing a certain piece of contact software, and so now it learns that when I type con that it opens that one instead of the default contacts apps on my Mac because LaunchBar learns things. New in LaunchBar, you can also now manage your events and your reminders and access your contacts. So if you want to add an event to your calendar, or you want to add a reminder or something to your to-do list, you can do that right within LaunchBar without even having to take your fingers off the keyboard. Uh, But you can also perform actions on these files, too. You can browse the file system. You can copy, move, or rename files and folders. Uh, You can even perform desktop or web searches and get instant feedback. And with version 6, you have access to more things than ever, including Finder tags, Safari iCloud tags, top sites, emoji, reminders, lists, and more. And when you're ready to dig into the power user features, you can even create custom script-based actions that will vastly extend the features of LaunchBar. And you can either install actions that were written by other users and they've got a library on their website, or you can create your very own actions uh, by using custom scripting languages like AppleScript, Java, JavaScript, Ruby, Python, PHP, and more. Uh, Launch Bar 6 is beautifully designed. It complements Yosemite. And I just cannot say enough great things about it. And we'll be talking about it more over the next couple of months. But you should not wait that long. If you want to learn more, uh, check out the new ebook on uh, the new Take Control ebook on LaunchBar. Those are great resources, and there's one that has been updated for LaunchBar version six. Uh, you can even start with a free sample of the book if you want, and you can find all of this along with get a free trial of LaunchBar by visiting launchbar.com/mpu. That's launchbar.com/mpu, and uh, thanks to LaunchBar for their support of the show.
1: So great to have them back. And and so great to see this latest version. They have really knocked it out of the park. I mean, they really delivered. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the, the current email clients, because I think, you know, in 2014, how are we dealing with email? Well, one of the things is there is a bit of a shooting war now uh, over whose client we're going to use to manage our email. A few years ago, it was just the, it was just the first-party software. It was Apple Mail on the Mac, and it was, a, you know, Outlook or Outlook Express on Windows. And nobody really thought about making competing mail clients because with Apple and Microsoft giving them away on their platforms, it really wasn't a market you could make any money on. And, you know, this rich variety of email clients kind of dried up and now all of a sudden people because email has become such a big deal i think is one of the reasons at least uh people are coming out with competing clients and i wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the various clients for mac and ios that katie and i are serious about right now um starting with apple mail and uh, yeah what do you want to Go well, ahead, Katie.
0: I'm a, I'll tell you, honestly, I, I think Apple Mail gets a short shrift from a lot of people because every, every, nobody, you know, it, it kind of the popular thing to do now is is to use all of these third-party mail clients. But I, I tell you, at the end of the day, I always find myself keep coming back to Apple Mail. And it hasn't improved as much as I would like to see it improve. There's, there's certainly room for improvement. I've got a list of features. If anybody from Apple wants to call me, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But at the end of the day for me it it gets the job done and especially there are a lot of third party plugins that you can use with Apple Mail to add some additional functionality and to add some additional power to Apple Mail that it works as is my primary email client of choice it it works for me this the search is pretty powerful it it integrates with my exchange account very nicely I can't complain um, with Yosemite, it doesn't completely fall down all over e- Gmail, and that's about all I think I can say about that. Is that a compliment? I guess so. Um,
1: a rather backhanded compliment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know, going back to our original discussion of email technologies, uh, Apple Mail is great for IMAP. It's good for Exchange, although Outlook is better for Exchange if that was the only thing you were doing with it, and it 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 does sync with Gmail, but You know, my problem with this, and I know I've said this on our show before and in my email book, if you're really going to go to the trouble to use Gmail, you know, if you're going to make that deal and say, okay, Google, I'm giving you a bunch of information about me because I want Gmail and Gmail has all these powerful features, um, then why wouldn't you use it in the platform that gives you access to all those features? I mean, a lot of the stuff that Gmail does doesn't work in Apple Mail because it's not engineered around Gmail. And I don't think at any point, are the guys at Google and Apple going to sit down together and say, we just need to make Apple Mail the killer Gmail client? They're never going to do that. So uh, I've always felt like if you're going to use Gmail, then then use it, you know, in its full glory and it's not in Apple Mail. But if you're using IMAP or Exchange, uh, I think Apple Mail is a, is a pretty good solution. And I agree with you. It gets a lot of um, it gets a lot of complaints. I was looking at um, various complaints made about it over the years. One of the the popular complaints is, hey, this thing breaks when we put a lot of email into it. And I have found that over the years, they've got much better at handling big mail databases. My mail database is pretty large at this point, having done Max Barkey and the day job and the, and you know, just being a guy that does a lot of email. Um, and it seems to be doing just fine. I don't think that complaint is really that legitimate anymore. Um they don't innovate enough. I think there is some merit to that. I mean because there are some these applications we're going to talk about in a minute that have some pretty innovative features. Uh the way Apple Mail saves itself in that regard though is like Katie said it allows you to have plugins and and we're going to talk about maybe a few of our favorite plugins. And it, because it's an, basically an IMAP mail program, it allows you to use some very interesting technologies, something like SaneBox, which really saves Apple Mail for me in a lot of ways, because it gives me a lot of features that nobody at, at the Apple Mail team thinks about, but now I use every day. Okay. Um, the uh, So a few things in Apple Mail that I think if you're interested in, you should look in uh, to taking further advantage of. Number one is VIPs.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I actually, I don't know if you've noticed this, David. It worked when I was in Mavericks as long as I did not do a clean install. But as soon as I did a clean install of Mavericks, it stopped VIPs is that feature that allows you to name certain people as, well, you know, VIPs. And so you can get certain levels of notification from them. So, for example, you're one of my VIPs. So you can set certain things to happen or certain notifications to happen only when you receive messages from VIPs, which is nice because you can turn off notifications, say, for anybody except VIPs. Now, they used to have this feature where, although SaneBox has made this a little less relevant for me, where you could sort your, where you could view an uh, an inbox of only new messages for VIPs. But I can't seem to figure out how to do that anymore. Can you? Yeah, it's there. Oh, okay. It's, I,
1: know, I know you can do it. I, uh, I don't want to dig it out right now, but well, it's, let me it's know. still possible. Uh, the, um, I just want to make a timestamp. That was like 32 minutes where Katie Floyd said, you're my VIP. I think I'm going to turn that into my ringtone when you call me. Okay. All right. The, um, the other thing with Apple Mail that I think is worth checking out, and this is something we've covered on the show in the past, is their rule support is very powerful. Um, it's powerful because they give you a lot of options to adjust rules. Like I, I'm doing a contest on the website right now. Uh, for the sponsor, maxparky.com, And I've got a rule set set up for that. So as the emails come in for the contest, they automatically sort and file and do a bunch of stuff. And I don't have to worry about it. Um, You can do that now. Really great. I I thought that was, was one of the things I covered well in the email book. So if you've got that, there's a whole screencast showing you how, but, uh, that's great. The downside is those rules need to be applied on a computer that's running. They're not applied on the internet.
0: Yeah, um, there the, there are rules on web-based mail, but depending on what web-based server you're using, they, they may or may not be that comprehensive. Like I know Gmail has pretty good web-based mails, but iCloud, mm, not so good. But yes, Apple uh, Mail does have extensive rules as long as you have a separate dedicated machine that can be running them.
1: Yeah, I got confused for a minute and I was pushing the cough button while I was talking.
0: Oh, I think it was a long that. day. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but the uh, it, I was going to say, if you want to do uh, Internet based rules, I think there's three thing, three places I would look. I, the first would be uh, Gmail. If you're a Gmail person, they, they've got some great options on the IMAP side. The best rule support I've seen is Fastmail. They've got some some pretty powerful rule stuff you can do. In fact, I think they even have support for regular expressions, but don't quote me on that. Gabe, somewhere right now, Gabe is, is screaming at his um at his car dashboard. Um, and then the third one is uh is uh as our sponsor, Sanebox. They've got some interesting stuff you can do on the internet side, but so that stuff is out there, and we're going to talk about that later in the outline. But if you're on Apple Mail, check out the local rules because it may solve a lot of problems for you. I mean, why not have it so it automatically copies emails from your most important client to a certain folder and puts a star on them and sends you a message? I mean, you can make that kind of stuff happen in Apple Mail, and a lot of people don't take advantage of it. Another one is smart mailboxes. I mean, there's quite a, there's quite a few powerful features in Apple Mail that aren't in other clients. So don't just give up on it. If, if if you're using IMAP or Exchange, I think you should take a serious look at Apple Mail.
0: Now, you had talked before the show quite a bit uh, offline about MailPilot, and I'm not familiar with this, so tell me a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, and I'm not a regular user of MailPilot. It started out, I believe, as a Kickstarter project, you know, saying we want to make a better mail client, and it started out as an iOS. Application at this point they've expanded to a Mac application and iOS application. They've got some interesting features built in, and a lot of it is is really attractive and nice. It's got no support for Exchange. It does support Gmail, however, and I don't know how good its implementation of Gmail is. I actually asked to get in. They've got a new beta out, and I've asked to get in on it, but I didn't get in in time to uh, to examine it for the show, but. MailPilot is worth checking out. I know several people, largely IMAP mail users that really like it. So, I mean, let me see. I I think that's probably as much as I should say. It's got, it's got reminders. It's got um, different ways to organize your messages. Um, It, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea. And, and I believe they've got some of the defer tools built in. And I guess maybe now's a good enough time to talk about email deferring, because this is something I've made fun of in the past on the show, but this has become a thing. And and for me, the eye opener for me was when I started using SaneBox, but you know, one of the problems that I think we all face with email is you get the email in and I can't act on it right now. And what do I do with it? And it's sitting there in my inbox just making me nervous. Uh, email deferment is the idea that you can say, okay, give me this email tomorrow, or give me this email Saturday, or give it to me today at 6 p.m. And it's a, it's a really kind of a powerful idea when you think about it. It doesn't solve the problem of answering that email, but it does get it It gets it out of your your head and gets it off of your phone or your computer for a few hours while you can deal with other things. And then it comes back later. In a way, this is kind of like when we had the task management show and I did that, talked about my crazy technique of micromanaging um, start times in my OmniFocus database. You recall that conversation, Katie?
0: I do, where you could just select a whole group of stuff and say, nope, not today.
1: Or even more, even more specific, I would say 1 p.m. You know, I'll, I'll select a bunch of things, and it'll say 1 p.m. And then for the rest of the morning, I have four items that I really want to get done this morning. At 1 p.m., then I'll get hit with that that other list, and maybe I'll knock some of those out as well to future deferment. So I'm 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 kind of micromanaging it. That's what you're doing with this deferring of your email. So I used to make fun of it. It seemed to me like busy work. And at the end of the day, it really helps me. Yeah. I, I started using it, and now I'm using it all the time.
0: I think I think you have to be careful with this though. And I, I had a conversation with um you know Ben Stevens, who's who's got a a website. We should put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, who I met yeah. down at MiloFest uh, about this, and and he uses a service called Boomerang to do something very similar. And I'm not familiar with Boomerang, but it it may be worth something checking out. You have to be careful because to me. Every time you defer something or every time you change the start date on something or every time you throw something in the same later folder or whatever that action may be to defer it, you're you're touching it and you're moving it and you're taking an action on it. And even though that only takes a half of a second to do, you're, you're still you're expending mind, time and energy, you know, thinking about it, going, oh, I'm just going to defer that. Now, there's a time and a place for that. But if you find that you've deferred the same thing five days in a row and sticking it in your tomorrow folder and it comes back into your inbox and you say, oh, not today. At the end of the day, you stick it in your tomorrow folder and it comes back into the inbox and you've done that time and time and time again. Well, now you've probably got a different problem. And, and now you're just now you're just moving the paper around on your desk to try to make your, your desk look not quite so messy. So. I think you need to be careful with deferring some of those things. There's definitely a time and place for it. I mean, I did it today, for example. You know, if if I had an email, I had an email that came in, you know, five minutes before I was getting ready to leave the office. And, uh, you know, I glanced at it just very quickly to make sure that it wasn't a fire, a true fire that had to be put out. Um, But I'm not going to give it any more energy than that. It went into my tomorrow folder and I'll deal with it tomorrow because that's the appropriate time to deal with it because it was after business hours. You know, I had a few emails come in after I was already home for the evening and they go into my tomorrow folder and I'll deal with them tomorrow. But if those same emails had come in, uh, you know, tomorrow at at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, then I'm probably not going to put them in my tomorrow folder again at 5 p.m. I'm going to, if they're still not done, or if I haven't done what I need to do to clear them out of my inbox, I'm going to create actions for them in OmniFocus and create projects to do things with them.
1: And it depends because like, let's say that email only will take a short period of time to respond to, but you're still waiting for a critical piece of information or, uh, you just don't have time because so many other critical things are on your desk. Um, the time that it takes to turn that into an omni task is even more than a half a second, you know, that you're talking about deferring it. So there's a line to be drawn. And uh, I think that's something you have to be responsible about if you're going to do this. But I can tell you that the getting it off of your plate, even just like taking a 5 p.m. email and pushing it to tomorrow Uh, to me is really beneficial. So now I'm sitting home with my kids and I'm not thinking about that email that's sitting in my inbox. I don't, you know, I understand that it's all a fiction that I'm just using, you know, computer net and wires and things to like push it off. So I don't see it, but it helps me. And it allows me to be there with my kids and be present. And then tomorrow it will show up and I'll say, oh, yes, I need to deal with that now. So it works. I find it works a lot better than I thought it would. I used to make fun of it and now I use it.
0: Oh, Uh, I'm completely on board with you. I'm just saying you have to be careful not to use it as a crutch as you do with any of these tools. But let me ask you. How, what what type of deferment rules do you have set up? I mean, because I've talked about, and I think you have you have a tomorrow rule, as do I. Um, I also have one that I use on the weekend called next week that will defer things in tomorrow. And or, I'm sorry, until the following Monday. Do you have more yeah. granular rules set up? And, and then I, I will set one up for special ev- occasions. So like if I'm gone, th- that it will defer until I come back. But uh, on a regular basis, do you have any more than just kind of tomorrow and next week rules?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I, I've kind of gone way down the rabbit hole on this. The so the, the two apps. Let's talk about this in the context of three services, two apps <laughs> in one service. Okay. Uh, M- Mail Pilot gives you and Boxer both give you the ability to do this. Boxer is an iOS app that's a very powerful email application for iOS. And and the thing, the way those do it is they set up these folders in your IMAP system, and they they just move them into that. Um, SaneBox just pushes them off and you don't see them again until, and I don't know it Actually, they do. They do create a folder now that I think about it. So they put it in a folder as well. All these things start adding folders to your system and that's kind of the noise part of it, but it's worth it once you start using it. um, It's great. So uh, I want to break it up by, by roles in my life. So for work, I have a folder, a, uh, a deferred folder called tomorrow. I have one called Monday yep and I, and I have one called three hours oh. and and that's where Katie's gonna say, well you I want a one of to, those yeah you did that surprise you? oh no really, I'm happy to hear that because I figured you were gonna judge
0: me on that one no, I'm creating but, one right now
1: because sometimes three hours really is what I need you know somebody sends me something and I do need to deal with it, but um in my day job I've got you know, being a lawyer sometimes feels a lot like being a fireman. And sometimes you don't know when you're going to have to, you know, shimmy down the pole and get on the red trucks. So uh, give me three hours and I'll and this will come back and I'll deal with it. Then all of that stuff is a lot faster for me than opening up OmniFocus and putting it in there and creating a task and setting a flag to it or setting a deadline to it. So three hours, I'll see it again. Great. Uh, the problem and this is the thing Katie was talking about earlier is at what point do you just start kicking the can down the road so many times that you could have answered it? It with the amount of time you spent deferring it. And at that point, you have to ask yourself, you know, once you've deferred something two or three times, you're going to say, look, wait a second, Dave, be honest with yourself. You know, you're either not going to answer this or this is such a big project that you need to create an omni-focused task with it and or whatever your system is to deal with email in the future. And I think there's some truth to that. You don't want to keep repeatedly doing it. Now, that being said, there's a couple I've done that with. But I think I've got pretty disciplined at it over the years. That's why sometimes Mac Power Users listeners or Mac Sparky readers will get an email from me like three or four months after they write me. <laughs> because what happened was I deferred it a few times and then I turned it into an omnifocus task. Sometimes when somebody sends me a long email, it might I might have to wait a few months before I get to a point where I'm really ready to answer it or have time or whatever. And And that's one of the the tricks to me. So you defer as a first step because deferring is much faster than creating an OmniFocus task and then go on from there. Uh, On the Max Sparky side, I don't have a three-hour folder because if something comes in Max Sparky, I'm not going to deal with it. It might get pushed back quite a bit later. I've got a Saturday morning um, one because with SaneBox, you can actually set the time of day that the thing shows up. So I have one where they show up Saturday morning. I've got one for tomorrow and I've got one for next week. So I've got, I think I have a three day one with Max Sparky, which is something that is kind of useful to me. Yeah. Um, So there's a, there's a bunch of them out there and, and there's different applications that you can get that deferring going. But if you haven't tried it yet, um, don't be like me and hold your nose up at it for two years and, you know, give it a shot because that may help you get through some of the mail you're dealing with. And it feels really good at the end of the day to kind of like clear out your inbox, you know, use Merlin's term inbox zero, but it's not real for real inbox zero. You're kind of cheating because you've sent some into the future.
0: Right.
1: Another app worth mentioning, and now that we're kind of off that subject for a little bit, maybe we'll come back to it, is Outlook. Uh, Microsoft just came out with a new version of Outlook for Mac as As we're recording the show. I've, I've, I've downloaded it. I've played with it a little bit. Um, It looks okay, You know, it's funny with the Microsoft Office suite, you know, they have not had an update since I believe 2011. And now they've announced that next year they're going to have updates to the the rest of the Office suite. And it's kind of interesting because the early leaked screenshots make it look as if they're going to bring the visual cues very much in line with the PC version. Which doesn't make me entirely comfortable because yeah. it's always, you know, <laughs> one of the things is like, okay, it's more or less feature compliant, but it's more of a Mac app than a PC app. And now it looks like they're saying, okay, everybody, let's just make them all look the same. I'm not sure about that. And it's, but the funny thing is someone was saying, man, aren't you just like going nuts that they have an updated office for four years? And I'm like, you know, part of me, it's working Part of me wants them not to change it. (laughs) Sometimes an update to office is not an improvement in my life. But anyway, so Outlook is out there. It's really great for exchange. It's um, like the calendar setting and sharing and, you know, because it integrates things where the mail app is just a mail application. Um, If you're in an exchange network, you may need to be running Outlook. I don't know anybody that's running Outlook for their personal email.
0: No, I don't either.
1: And if you are, you don't need to write me to tell me. That's okay. I believe you. <laughs> um, I I thought another topic of another interesting subject of email applications is some of these kind of custom email applications. But before we get to that, I want to take a minute to talk about our next sponsor. Okay. And this is one that I'm actually really excited about. Um, it's Automatic at Automatic.com. And Automatic is an auto accessory that talks to your car's onboard computer And uses your smartphone GPS and data plan to upgrade your car's capabilities. I bought one of these. As soon as I heard about them, we had a listener write in and talk about how he had bought an automatic, plugged it into his car, because and because this whole thing is very internet savvy, it plugs into if this then that. And he was tracking this was on one of our live shows a while ago. He was tracking his trips right into a Google spreadsheet with this automatic device and immediately said I have to have one. And now I, I went and bought one and I love it because it's it's just a great device. I, I've got a Ford, it plugs into the little data port just fine. And I can open the app and see You know, how much gas I'm using, how far I'm traveling. Uh, We were joking around at the beginning of the show, but what I didn't say was I've been to like four different meetings in four different areas of Los Angeles. So I I probably drove like 150 miles today. And I'm going to go on my automatic log on my app later and I'm going to just find out the exact distance I drove to turn in mileage for some of these things that I can charge mileage on. And It it, all this stuff has just made my life so much easier. It works in the United States with just about any gasoline engine car sold in the U.S. since 1996. It also works fine. I've got a hybrid. It works fine with my hybrid. Um, It gives you feedback on your driving, including like rough braking, speeding, and rapid acceleration. And it gives you just kind of a little audio beep when you do that. And sometimes I'm driving down the freeway and suddenly I hear the little notice from the automatic, and I realize I'm kind of going fast, and I slow down, and it helps me, you know, increase my drive score because it's kind of like a game; it scores you. But it also increases my um, my mileage on my gas, which is great. So you can keep trip, uh, track of your t- trips and your timeline to display detailed information. It's also got what they call the crash alert, which can detect a serious crash because, you know, your car is sending a lot of data to that data port. And agents from the automatic uh, company will report to local authorities and notify your loved ones. So you put out that all in there and you even say who you want them to contact in the event of a serious crash. So it's just a really great view of safety. Um, and it, just the the nerdy part of having an app that shows you all this stuff real time is awesome. And then on top of it all, you add if this then that, and you can customize it. So like if you you know start your car in your driveway, that the lights turn out, or the you know you can do all this crazy stuff because using if this then that, you can connect it all. I'm I'm really loving my automatic. I was so happy when they decided that they wanted to sponsor the show because I was already a big fan. We just had a problem with my daughter's car. And there was a warning light, but she wasn't, you know, it just didn't occur to her to tell me about it. And the the way the car was made, the warning light wasn't really, really, you know, present. And if I had known, it would have saved me a lot of money. And I realized, you know what, I'm just going to buy two more of these. and I'm going to put one in my wife's car, and one in my daughter's car, and then we're going to be much better. Because like one of the other things it'll do is when your car gets a warning message, it'll send you a text message or whatever you tell it to do. Um, so it's just really great. Now, now they have a new service for new licensed drivers where it allows parents to keep an eye on their new teen drivers without being a backside backseat driver. So you put the automatic in and it, gives uh rewards and badges and just makes them feel really great and also kind of coaches them through better driving for 160 hours and you know what that first 160 hours is really powerful so if you've got a young driver in your family this is another reason to get one of these things they're just really awesome and if you're a nerd you need to get one and you know it also allows you to upgrade an old car you know if you've got an old car that doesn't have a fancy dashboard well suddenly you've got a way to kind of bring that technology into your iphone and you can get a discount so if you go to automatic.com and you, you go to uh, storeautomatic.com, you can get 20% off an automatic. Uh, just use the code MACPOWER2014. Uh, there's no space there. So M-A-C-P-O-W-E-R 2014, and you can get yourself an automatic. I'm going to get two, Katie. I just decided. Good. Since the show's over, I'm going to get one for Daisy and one for Sam.
0: You should use our coupon code.
1: I am going to, I'm going to, and and let us know if you get one of these, what you're doing with it. Cause I think we're going to have to put some of this into the live show because you know, when you add, if this, then that to your car, you know, much hijinks can ensue. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what our, what our listeners are doing with this stuff. So thanks automatic. And um, let's get back to email. Um, So one of the things that's interesting on the email client side with the iOS is that these people are making email applications that aren't meant to be an email replacement, but just to kind of fix a few problems with email for you. And to me, the poster child of this is dispatch um Dispatch is an iOS app. It's really an iPhone app. Although I have good information that they're eventually going to be adding an, I, an iPad version and I can't wait until they do. Uh, but Dispatch is a great way to quickly manage email. And the original idea was just your inbox and you see a message there and it's very pretty and it's got these little swipey things you can do. And it allows you to share originally the idea was using this URL shorteners to to send your email off to different places.
0: You send it to OmniFocus. You could send it to Evernote. You could send it to Fantastical. You could send it to any of a number of, of apps that, that support this XRU, XURL callback scheme. But now with extensions, they don't even have to do that anymore, right?
1: Yeah, they've got the extensions built in and they have so many nice little features. Like they solved, to me, one of the biggest problems of dealing with email on iOS is I like to save several emails to PDF. When I get you know a receipt for something, I want to save that email to PDF. And I understand a lot of people write in every time I talk about the same, well, you can save a PDF, just tap and hold it and you can save it. I'm not talking about an embedded PDF. You know, like when you go to the Apple store, you get a receipt. That's a PDF. That's easy. You can save that to Dropbox or transport or whatever, right on the device. But what I'm talking about is the text of an email saying, dear David, he, you know, this is your receipt for buying, you know, a box of lemons. Uh, so you can't, you can't save that as a PDF. They can do that in dispatch. They've got a feature. One of the things you can do is you can share it out to a PDF file and it does a really great job of it. Another great feature of dispatch. And this is one of the ways I am able to get through feedback email for Mac power users is I dictate a lot of it. In fact, some of you out there have probably got emails with, from me that had maybe a few little typos that sound like dictation typos. What do we call dictation typos?
0: Verbal,
1: I just thought of one, but I think we'd lose our clean tag if I said it, but don't say. Uh, either way um, you've got, so you've got this great way to respond uh, and, and they put the name in right there. So it would say dear Katie at the top or hi Katie, you know, and then, so that's, I've got the name in there because a lot of times dictating the name, you run into a problem. And then the other thing is my signature on iOS, except for my legal account, but for my Max Barkey and my, um, my iCloud account, my signature, you know, the built-in signature doesn't say sent for my iPhone, it just says David. So then I can dictate, you know, in, in dispatch, I can hit reply. It'll always say dear Katie or hi Katie. And then I can dictate a message about whatever, you know, thing in Star Trek is, you know, the current meme of our show. Mm-hmm. And then at the end I can say new paragraph your pal, comma, and then it'll put that in. And I do have to say David because it's already there. It's just a very fast way to, to just, you know, rock it through this stuff. That's why I want it on iPad, frankly, because it's easier to read when you get the bigger screen. But, you know, Dispatch is totally worth checking out. I don't know how much it costs right now. Um, let me see if I can find out.
0: Now, while you're but, looking that up, do you do – you, it sounds like you use Dispatch – it it's not your primary mail client. You still use the mail app on your on your iOS device as your primary mail client. And I don't see how dispatch really could be because one of the big downfalls for dispatch for me is that it doesn't have exchange support, which means it's not going to work for any of your work related mail.
1: No, it's not. And and I strangely I have two email clients on my home screen because I use Apple Mail and dispatch. Uh but dispatch for me is a way for dealing with the Max Barky and the the personal David stuff. And it's just very powerful. It's so good that it's worth keeping it on my home screen. So I guess that's that's my endorsement. And it's really great to share an email to a third-party place like OmniFocus or some of these other locations that I may want to do it. Maybe I get an email and I want to send it off to Evernote, and I can do that from right in there. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's kind of got personality. You know, the, the little sound effects are nice. And the big problem with it for a long time was that it was just dealing with the inbox, but now it can look at any box.
0: Yeah, and that was so a, like, that was a big problem, especially for SaneBox users, because so much of our email was not in the inbox.
1: Yeah, you caught me drinking. Oh, sorry. You didn't, didn't talk long enough. Okay. Okay, but the um, but you're right. So SaneBox. Now, I guess we should talk about it's not even an outline, but it's kind of like the gorilla on the couch, whatever here, because we both use it. Uh, but SaneBox does a really good job of making sure you don't have a lot of stuff in your inbox. And and with Dispatch, it for a while, dispatch only looked at your inbox, so it wouldn't work for me. But once they opened it up to see, you know, I could get into my later box or my Mac Power Users Feedback box, box. Then all of a sudden, dispatches just opened up this world for me. So go check that one out. I think that's definitely something you may want to take a look at. If you're on Exchange, move on. It's not going to work for
0: you. Okay. Well, you. All right. have- you want to talk a little bit about the mechanics of, of email. And um, so we, you know, we've, we've gone there in, in some other shows, but um, filing and archiving is, is something that I got a lot of questions about um, at Milo Fest because that's something that we're always interested in is, you know, how can I make, you know, we have to save everything. We have to save every single email that we've ever received from anybody, no matter what, because it might be the, the cues to the kingdom that we might need one day. And without without going into a lot of detail, because we've covered it on other shows, but I I tend to find that people are are typically broken in into two different types of categories. And in fact, I think we had a show on this, but you're you're typically you're either going to be a hunter or you're going to be a gatherer when it comes to this. And what I mean by that is, is hunters tend to use search to go find their email, um, meaning they typically have one archive folder that they dump everything in, and then are have kind of become a, a power search user, and then use search to go after all of that email. Whereas a gatherer, you'll you'll tend to see that they have lots of subfolders set up for all of their projects, and they dump all their email in there. And that's not to say that one way is better than another. Although I personally have developed kind of a preference for hunting versus gathering when it comes to email, because I found that I tended to spend a ton of time setting up all of these, these you know, this tree of folders, and then thinking, you know, am I really using this? So I do have, hmm, I would say less than a dozen, I would say six to 10 separate subfolders for big projects at work that I'm working on that things go in. And then as soon as those projects are closed, those messages get archived and that project, that folder goes away. But everything else pretty much goes into a single archive folder and I use Spotlight to find it. And I have not, ha- I mean, I've, sometimes it takes me a, f- a maybe not a few minutes, but a minute or so to find something. But overall, I, I don't think I've had any trouble finding email.
1: See, I, I would argue that that one is better than the other. I don't think there's any contest. I think that Uh, searching email is, makes a lot more sense than putting it into a million little folders. And I understand fully that some people have jobs that require all the email to be filed in folders because that's how it was set up. And for one reason or another, that's required. Maybe there's a legal requirement or a medical requirement or some reason why it has to be put in those folders, but that is not as efficient as if you can put it in one big batch and search it out. And if you're only putting it in folders because that's the way you've always done it and there's not some reason that you have to do it that way, I think you should immediately switch because uh, you can search email boxes really great. I mean, not just Gmail, even in Apple Mail and MailPilot and all these other applications have great search functionality. You're going to find whatever you need if you put it in one archive. I, I've been from my personal and Max Sparky stuff. I've never used those folders. It's all in one big fat archive. Yeah. And I can always find what I need.
0: Well, but that. That assumes, and you know, you may you may have a thought on this. That assumes that you necessarily know what you're looking for, though. I mean, what if you someone comes to you and says, "I need all the emails related to XYZ project." Well,
1: can I, I type XYZ into the uh, search bar and I do a pretty good job of it?
0: Well, you, you may, see, you, may see, now do now a, you may do a pretty good job, but I mean, you don't you don't know that every single email that you have is going to have that in the subject line. Maybe every email that you send, but not necessarily the emails that you receive.
1: Well, they're not necessarily just searching the subject lines, but see, to me, even your hypothetical is something where it sounds like one of those places where you've got to keep it all. Right. It's like you've got some big requirement to keep it all. But for most people, for right. their personal, definitely, and for their work, likely, uh, they're just people come to you and say, hey, uh, didn't you send an email to John Smith you know, last year? And if you type John Smith 2012... Uh, Apple Mail will find that email for you. And if you have any idea what the email is about, it's going to find it even faster.
0: Well, I definitely switched to the folder system for my personal email. I I do have still a few folders for my work-related email.
1: I mean, I can't think of the last time anybody came to me, even at work, and said, I need all the emails related to this one case. I have. Yeah, so... So, and I guess that's the question. If you've got that problem, then you're going to have to deal with it some way. But if you don't move on, you know, put it all in archive In Apple mail, it's a control command a, and it drops it right into an archive. Well, that's another great feature dispatch. They've got a feature there. Send an archive. What a great button that is. Yeah. Like when I when I re- respond to an email from a listener, it the email goes out, the original email gets archived and it's I move on. It's just so much faster.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit about archiving because it, how many emails did you say ballpark you had in your mail database?
1: I haven't looked. It's gigabytes and gigabytes. Yeah. I mean, it's all Last time I checked, I think it's like north of 12 gigabytes.
0: Have you had much of a problem with performance? Still scrolls like no. butter.
1: Yeah, that's fine. But I'm kind of a weirdo because I like right now I have my my MacBook Pro, which is two years old. That's old for me for a computer. And based on the money I spent in the last month, I'm going to be having it at least for another year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the um, but, you know, so I, I do not keep old hardware around long. So maybe I'm skewing because I have the most, you know, latest and greatest. But I, I don't have problems searching out email and Apple mail.
0: Yeah, I've I've got probably about 15 gigs in my work account and uh, less than that in my personal account. Uh, I do try to, to email archives more for preservation purposes, um, you know, save them into PDFs or, or put them somewhere else. I do like that email archiver, which was an app that I think I got from your field guide. Um, to, to grab when I close a file, that's what I do is when I grab one of those project files, I archive all of the contents into a PDF and and save that into a PDF into our electronic file. And then I can archive all those emails and boom, we're done. Um,
1: Yeah. Just for a second on that, Katie, I mean, just to think about that, what makes email archiver so great is that it takes the emails and bulk turns them into individual PDFs, and then it puts them in hierarchical folders on date.
0: Yeah. And the only reason that works is because I have that folder system set up for those projects.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I use it without that and I do okay. But, you know, like my day job, uh, there is a, a hierarchical system. It's just not something that I I work in. We have a different application that kind of does that for us. I don't want to get into it because nobody cares. But um, But I feel like that you and I are outliers because we have jobs that kind of require that. I'm sure there's people out there in the field of medicine that require that maybe some people in sales that might require that. But I think for a lot of people, um, they're they're putting that pain and suffering on them for no reason. It's kind of like getting that root canal for the hell of it. You know, why would you do that? If if you can avoid it, just put it in archive. It's so much easier.
0: Right. Um, and then two other tools to check out, because, you know, if you are going to switch email accounts or something, sometimes you want to pull all your email down from one and and have it. So you can either move it to another or just have it and start over again. Uh, Mail Steward is one that I've used forever that will pull all of your email down into a, an, a searchable database. And CloudPull is excellent if you're using a Google account. It's it's fairly inexpensive. They, I think they just pulled it out of the Mac App Store, by the way, um, but it is still available as direct download because it was bumping into some of the sandbox requirements. Uh, but cloud pull if you're using a google account is great cuz it will not only back up your your email but it will also back up uh your contacts and your google drive and and all of that other good stuff.
1: You know, another subject on um on email just kind of email mechanics issues is uh carbon copy blind carbon copy and we I don't think we talked about this at great length in the past but uh you know those are very Those are very carefully crafted terms. And if you're going to use CCs and BCCs, think about it, you know, before you start doing that. I mean, I I really don't appreciate when people start putting me on a CC of everything that I don't need to read. It happens a lot at work. And I think it's kind of one of those CYA things, but you know, try and be a a big boy or big girl about that. Yeah. Just Another, another downside of that is um uh when you're sending an email out to a big group of people uh, there's a there's a responsible way to do that and an irresponsible way so if you're if let's say you've got a group of 20 people and they don't all necessarily know each other or maybe one person on that list does not want their email to be shared with the other 19 people on that list um so the way you would normally do it is you'd send out an email and you would put all all of the 20 people in the carbon copy list there's a problem with that, though, because everybody sees each other's email addresses and then they start farming it and they start trying to sell stuff to each other and it gets nuts. So what you do is you send the email to yourself and the and then you blind copy everybody, all those 20 people, and then they don't see each other's names. I just had this happen the other day in the Mac community and somebody was a company was sending out a press release and it's like, you know, you look at it and they did it the wrong way. And I'm like, in every you know, year fort- it
0: happens with the with one know, for- of the MacWorld world distribution lists or something usually. I
1: mean, fortunately, I know most of those people. And I would never use it, but I'm like, hey, there's, you know, there's Glenn Fleischman and there's, you know, it's like all these people who I know. All their emails are there. And I'm like, great, you know. And then there's a whole bunch of people that I don't know. I'm thinking, well, all those people have my email now. And uh, you know, I don't really keep my Max Park email secret, but yeah, I'm sure a lot of people on that list do want to keep those emails secret. And who wants that? right um uh, so that's kind of a a good tip, and a related tip is the reply all button.
0: oh, just and remove I, it from your toolbar
1: yeah it's it's really dangerous. I mean, more people have been fired because of the reply all button than probably any button on a computer anywhere. It's just so easy to 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 make a mistake with that. Just had it happen to me recently where someone replied all and um it was opposing it it was a case I was on, and the other guy's client you know he wrote an email about what a dirty rotten scoundrel i am and then the client replied all with me on it <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i called him up and i said you know you probably should tell him not to do that um and then uh right order is another one gabe weatherhead talked about this recently on mac drifter and we'll put that in the show notes where he was talking about hey you know the last thing you ever want to do on an email is put the recipient's name in Because what happens is uh, once you put the recipient's name in, if you accidentally hit the send button, uh, it's going out, you know, (laughs) so it's going to get sent. That's another thing. It just happened to me over the weekend on a case I'm working on. I think one of the guys on the other side got drunk and was sending these emails off to me at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning or something. And I I don't know. But anyway, uh, so put your recipient's name in last. But I would add to, to that post to say, do the whole process in reverse. First, put your attachment on. Before you start writing the message, put your attachment in. Because how many people send it without making the attachment? Say, attached is whatever, and they forget to put it on at the end.
0: There, there's, there are two potential solutions for that. One is, uh, I should put a link. There's a text expander snippet that can help you with that. Um, that's That's got some scripting in it. Uh, and there's an app called, or a plugin called Attachment Tamer as well.
1: Yeah. And then the next thing you should do is you should write the body of the message. Because, you know, the, the method that they give you in Apple Mail or any other mail client is exactly wrong. They they first they say, well, put the recipient in. Well, we don't want to do that because we might accidentally send it. The next thing they say, well, what's the subject line? Well, you may think, you know, the subject line, but you really don't until you write the message. So do it in the opposite direction put the attachment in then write the body of the message. And then you, by the time you do that, you're going to be able to write a really concise, specific subject line. And that's going to make it a lot easier for the recipient. So they're going to know, you know, it's about lunch next Thursday or it's attached as the contract or whatever. And uh, and then you put the recipients in and then you hit the send button. And that's a much more sane way to do it. You know, I've said this on the show a few times. And now every time I respond to a listener email, I feel a little twinge of guilt because it's like the one email they're getting from me. And I didn't change the subject line because I'm just trying to like crank through all these emails. Um, so, you know, it just kind of depends, uh, but like when you're doing stuff for work or whatever, when you're doing, you know, a certain type of email, take the time to make a good subject line. It just helps everybody out in the process.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit more about common email problems. And then maybe if we have time, come back around to some, some inbox zero tips, but, Before we do, I want to talk about our next sponsor for this episode, and that's our pals over at Squarespace. And you've heard us talk quite a bit about Squarespace before, but they've got some news, and they just came out with a brand new version of Squarespace, and that is Squarespace version 7. And with version 7, they've made everything a whole lot simpler and easier to use, but they've still retained all of the power and complexity of the Squarespace platform that you've come to know and love. So Squarespace 7 refines all of the powerful things features of Squarespace 6, but it brings it into one seamless unified interface. So they've uncluttered the workspace. They've uh, simplified the whole website making process. They let you add your own content. They customize the design all within one single window. So you're going to spend a heck of a lot less time building the site and more time doing more of what you love. And for a free trial, you can go to squarespace.com and use offer code MPU. So there's some great new features with Squarespace 7. Uh, One of them is called cover pages. So sometimes you just need one simple page to communicate an idea. Maybe it's your personal brand. Maybe it's a new product. Maybe you want to announce your latest book. David, anything you want to say? No?
1: I uh, I refuse to speak. Okay. My language may incriminate me.
0: Okay. Well, when you, when you are ready to speak, you should consider using cover pages because you get all the power of Squarespace on one single beautiful page. Uh, Squarespace has also partnered with Getty Images, and you can use Getty Image Integration to get access to over 40 million professional stock photographs that would normally cost you hundreds and sometimes even thousands of dollars per image. But they're available now for just $10 an image to Squarespace customers. They've also got these new tastemaker templates. So Squarespace is working with all of these cool musicians and artists and athletes and architects and uh, uh, chefs to help develop new templates that cater to each profession. So you, you can use some of these designs from the world's most influential people and then customize and make them your own. So to get started with your own trial, your free trial, no credit card required, start building your own website today, sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the coupon code MPU to get 10% off and show your support for Mac Power users. Uh, So head over to squarespace.com slash Mac Power users and thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of the show.
1: Let's talk a little bit about uh, common email problems. Um, one of the ones that uh, that you entered the outline, I thought was a good one, was the problem of too many email accounts.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was one of those people. I collected email accounts. Did you do this ever?
1: Uh, not really. Not really. I, I did kind of go on a binge when I published the first field guide where I had a feedback at Mac, uh, Max Sparky field guides and I had like two or three different accounts. And at this point I've, I've tried to push them all into just, you know, my basic David at Max Sparky. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know, I, part of it was just, I was, I was collecting accounts cause I didn't want somebody else to get them, you know? So I got all of the Katie Floyd at whatever.com accounts, and, um, and you know, then I had the Mac Power users account, and I had a personal account, and I had a work account, and then I had one for this website and one for this side project and all of this stuff. Uh, and, and then I kind of came to this, this realization that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really only one person. So why do I need all of these email personas, so to speak? Um, and, and so I have recently consolidated all of my accounts into two got them down to two, uh, personal and work. And I'm, I'm going to say two asterisk and it is, it is really greatly simplified things. Um, now the asterisk part of that is I, 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 still send email from my Mac power users account. Um, and you know what, I, I may even just let that go at some point. Cause at this point, who cares? It's pretty easy to figure out what my personal email account address is. Um, but I, I still send email from my MPU account for more for branding purposes and, and things like that. But all of the email that comes in uh comes into that personal account. Um You've come
1: a long way, Katie Floyd.
0: I know. Now I do keep the work stuff completely separate, as I as I think most people probably should, especially if, if you don't necessarily work for yourself. So the work stuff is completely separate, but everything comes into my own personal account. And uh that has it has just—it's been a tremendous help in terms of organization. Um, you know, knowing that all of my email is going to be in this folder, and n- knowing how I'm going to be able to find email, um, knowing that I can share the same email filters, um, I've been able to cut back and on the same box plan that I was using, so I can have a, a little lower cost plan because I'm only using two email accounts. Uh, it's you know, it's just—it's really simplified the process. It's been great.
1: Yeah, I um well, see you're better than I am because I use three. I have the uh, Max Sparky account, I have my personal account and my work account, and I've got a two or three kind of accounts pushing into the Max Sparky account. And eventually, I'll probably get rid of those, but they do kind of serve a purpose now. And I also have um my old because when we got our we have like a cable ISP account that. When we first got into the house, we had some stuff on that and I have things pointing that way right now. And those are pointing at my personal account as well. So I've got a few things filtering down, but at the end of the day, I only have three inboxes. Yeah. But you're right. So, so give some thought to that. One of the things I think a lot of people make a mistake with, and especially probably not so much our listeners, but relatives of our listeners is they have these kind of throwaway email accounts that they use whenever they sign up for something. Yes. And I think that's a very common thing to do if you don't really think about this stuff too much. But to me, it's like, well, if that account is going to exist, then you're going to need to check it. I think you're much better off building an interesting filtering system or some way to make sure that you just don't get junk email rather than having a separate account that's full of junk, but maybe one or two things you need to read and giving yourself this, you know, this overhead of going through and looking through it all the time.
0: Well, and and let's talk about that a little bit, because that kind of leads us into the, the junk email problem, because what people do is they create these throwaway accounts to, to sign up for all of these products and services. Well, first off, you've got to ask yourself, if you're creating a quote unquote throwaway account to give to somebody for whatever product and service, why don't you just not give them your email address? It's okay. It's okay. You know, when when the clerk at the cash register says, and can I get your email address? You know what the answer to that is? No, thank you. I'd rather not. That's it.
1: And when you're buying something, you know, from any, I just bought something online last night. And at the very end, they say, and it's okay that we send you an email, right? And it's got the, oh, wow, I just activated it. (laughs) Activated the thing that I can't say. Yeah, I don't know what I said, but it's my phone just lit up right in front of me. But no, when you when I was buying something at the very end of the transaction, it's got the little box saying we're going to email you about, you know, future opportunities. And it's already checked. You know, that's the clever part, right? Check it because most people are just going to click OK. So go and uncheck that give yourself permission it's okay
0: right and and i'll tell you that that some businesses will abuse this and i'll and i'll call out one right now you know i was at office depot this past week and bought some stuff there and they said, can we email you your receipt? And I thought, you know, that that would be great because I need to turn this in for tax purposes. Yes, go ahead and email me my receipt. And I, I typed my email address in. Nowhere in there did they say, I checked. Nowhere in there did they say they were going to add me to their mailing list. Nowhere in there did I give them permission to be added to my mailing list because I thought about that. Ooh, I'm going to get email now, aren't I? Sure enough, I got my receipt next day. Welcome to our mailing list.
1: Yeah, um, but- but, but a company that size is going to have an unsubscribe button. E-
0: exactly. And and that's, you, you know, people say, oh, don't ever unsubscribe. Well, I mean, look at the source. Clearly, I got signed up for that Office Depot email based on this most recent interaction that I had with them at their store by giving them my email address. So legitimate companies are going to comply with the Can Spam Act. Um, at least here in the U S and there's similar acts, you know, throughout, but legitimate email companies are going to give you a way to unsubscribe from their marketing messages. And the vast majority of those work. And for the ones that you're too afraid to click on the unsubscribe button, well, that's where I use the same black hole, but um, those you can set up, you can use a service like sandbox or you can set up email rules for, or or things like that, or just, you know, depend on your junk mail filter to catch them.
1: Another cool trick is set up a smart mailbox in Apple mail for any email that has the word unsubscribe in it. Hmm. And and you'll be surprised what you catch in that smart mailbox. And you can go through there and just like when you're feeling feisty, you can just go in there and unsubscribe to a whole pile of them. Um, Boomerang, as I understand it is primarily for Gmail and SaneBox is really great. Well, actually SaneBox does work with Gmail, but they also have IMAP and exchange support. We haven't really talked about them. I guess we've been dancing around a little bit because SaneBox is a sponsor and we don't want it to seem like a big commercial, but you need to be looking at SaneBox or Boomerang if you're doing this stuff and you're having trouble.
0: Yeah, we, we might as well tell you since we've done this, uh, SaneBox.com slash MPU is the, the link you can go to and, and get a two-week free trial and save a little bit of money.
1: Yeah, so what they do is they, not only do they allow you to defer email, like I talked about earlier in the show, they've got services like, the black hole where you put an email in there and you never see another email from that source. Uh, and they also have, I really love the um, the feature where you can blind copy it to SaneBox with a time period. And then if someone doesn't reply to you, you get that again. I mean, we always have this problem and I'm not going to dwell on this because they are a sponsor, blah, blah, blah. But like I have this problem where I sent an email to someone and I need a response from them. And how do I track that? And before I would put a task in OmniFocus, to say, follow up with John Smith about this item. And one of two things would happen either. First of all, it would take time to create that OmniFocus task that, you know, and then I've got to put it in the right project. And then that's kind of another thing I'm carrying around in my pocket all the time. And maybe he would respond in an hour. You know, and so I've created that task. I've given it a defer date of next week because I don't want to see it every day. So then I forget about it, and the next week it shows up in OmniFocus. I'm like, "Well, what is that about again?" And I have to remember. And he may have already responded. Um, uh, with Samebox, you can just say if I write that email to John Smith, if I put one week at Samebox.com, uh, it Samebox sends me the email back if he doesn't reply to that email. I mean, it's, it's a great feature. I'm not a familiar if any other service is doing something like that. They are, let us know, but man, it it's just great. If you're someone who's sending a lot of emails out where you're kind of tracking it and trying to keep track of if you get a response or not. I know Katie does it to me all the time. She doesn't say so, but like when she emails me about whether I've sent her a recording of a show or given her some information she needs, I'm pretty sure every time she does that to me.
0: No, I just totally keep that in my head.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So that's, that's really pretty fantastic. And, and, you know, so go check that out, especially um, if you're, if you're struggling with a lot of email and and let's talk about that problem for a little bit, you know, email disruption in your life. And, and I think that is something that's easy to talk about and really hard to solve. So where do we start with this problem? Uh, you know, I think the biggest issue is the amount of email you get. Um, and this is something that I want to be careful when I address because I think it's kind of a podcaster problem more than it's a a problem for everybody in the world, um, uh, you know, because when we do a show like this, we have a, a lot of listeners. So we get a lot of email and, you know, I really love it because it, it feels great hearing from people that listen to the show and like it and and want to share something but it's also just an um, an enormous amount of email.
0: Did you and, listen to Analog this week cuz that's all that uh that's all that Casey and um and Mike talked about?
1: No, I'm, gonna, you I'm should. going to it's, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to have to yeah. because I, I well, let's see how I do in terms of what they said cuz I I don't know what they said, but I do think this is a problem and and I don't think it applies to everyone listening to the show. There's going to be some people that don't have that much email and using the kinds of tools we've already talked about is going to solve the whole problem for them. But there are also going to be another set of people that are still like, Hey, that's great. I'm using sandbox, I've got the best technologies. I've got the application. That's killer for me. And guess what? I still can't keep up with it. You know, I could sit here all day and answer email. And sometimes that happens, you know, I'll, I'll answer like 50 emails And then I'll wake up the next day and there's another 50 emails, you know, it's, you know, that have been filtered down to the emails that I need to answer. I mean, I'm not talking about 50 with 40 of them being junk. I mean, 50 substantive emails. So it's, it's really hard for people to deal with this. And it's like, how do you produce anything? How do you get your job done? How can you complete the next job from your boss when your boss is giving you a lot of email? And there's a lot of people that have talked about this problem in our little world. I think the probably most, uh, the most authoritative is Merlin Mann, Who's really good at talking about this stuff and putting it in terms that make sense. Um, One of the analogies he used on his back to work show once was talking about party invitations. And he was saying, what if, you know, would you book yourself to be at three parties at the same time? Well, you wouldn't because that's crazy. And and you're doing the same thing when you're dealing with all of these emails and projects you're taking on and you're overloading yourself. Well, you can overload yourself with email. Um, so what are some of the ways we deal with it? We've talked about one already, VIPs. I think VIPs is great, assuming you're using Apple Mail, because it allows you to get to the most important ones right now.
0: Right. And you can... Add and remove VIPs. And, you know, David, just so you know, you're, you're right on the edge there. You, you could, I, can, I think
1: I'm always on the edge, I, Katie. I, I
0: can unstar <laughs> you at any time I want. <laughs> Uh, And and you can do that with an Apple Mail just by um, clicking on the little star next to somebody's name to add them or remove them as a VIP. And so you can uh, modify your notifications both on iOS and on the Mac that way. But also new in iOS 8, which is a great feature, is, you know, sometimes you've got something important that's going on. Uh, and, and you don't necessarily always want to receive notifications for emails from this specific person, but you do because you've got something going on right now. And so you can turn on notifications for a specific thread in iOS 8. And I've used that occasionally, and it's a very helpful feature.
1: Yeah. So if you're in the middle of a hot deal at work, or if you're planning your trip to Hawaii with your wife or whatever, you can make those threads more important. And I think that's a fantastic addition. If you're in Gmail, there's a service called a that's that's quite powerful it even because gmail knows everything about you right they've got all this access it even looks at people that you've got upcoming appointments with and makes their mail more important than people that you don't have upcoming appointments with i mean one of my hacks for that has always been when we book a guest for the show i make them a vip and then after the show's over i always unvip them or most of them and um and and so that's kind of like a manual process of doing this, where a Wayfind would do that automatically, which is great.
0: And you know, so otherwise, I've I've just turned off notifications except for these most important messages because you know, I have found that I am just not disciplined enough. I have this Pavlovian like response to as soon as that email chime dings. If if I don't have the self discipline to stop myself, I, I will just grab my phone or grab my computer and whatever I'm doing, will take a backseat to got to check the email, got to check the email, got to check the email. And if I do have enough discipline to stop myself, then my mind is at least distracted for a second to think, huh, wonder what that is. Huh? Wonder what that is. And I'm constantly going back to it.
1: Yeah. And this is something I've covered in the show, in the book, but you know, when you do the math, Um, assuming that you've got notifications set every five minutes or push, it's even more common. Uh, there are thousands of interruptions, you know, every month that you're gonna get, I don't know how you get any work done that way. Um, I can tell you my notification settings at this point is I do have VIPs set up for notifications. None of them are audible though. I I don't have any ding going off. I do, however, and this is kind of something place I've changed over the years is I've added a badge. I used to always turn off all the badges too. I don't wanna look at my email and see a badge, but I've now got to the point where I put VIPs on a badge. So if I get an email from a guest or Katie, Katie will always be a VIP for me. All right. uh, you're not on the edge. Uh, but if I get a, if I get an email from my wife or Katie or a guest or maybe a key client or something or on a thread that I'm really busy on, um, it will show up and then I'll say, OK, well, I probably need to look at that. And that's that's a sane notification to me because it's only going to be some it's not going to be a Viagra ad. It's going to be something I need to be looking at. So I do that. But I don't do the, the little ding because I just refuse to have my phone ding. Yeah. The funny thing is when we recorded our last show, I just had this new computer set up. I hadn't set up my notifications and then it just went off right during the show. I was ah, so embarrassed.
0: Max Sparky's got all the notifications going on this. Yeah. Computer.
1: Uh, but but anyway, so there's, there's ways to deal with this. But yeah. okay, let's say you're doing all of these things and you still have a problem. Well, you're still getting tons of email. What? What do you do next?
0: I I think you have to start training some of the people, just like you have to train yourself sometimes not to respond to these emails. You've got to start training some of the other people in your life. And maybe they don't even know that you're training them a little bit, but you have to train yourself not to be so responsive when it comes to email and not to let email be one of the most important things in your life and not to let it dictate so much of your time and attention. But you've also got to start training the other people in your life to know That that's not what they can expect from you in terms of email. Um, And I've started doing this and and people now have started to recognize that, you know what, if they want me, they need to call me or they need to, you know, in my office, they need to buzz me or they need to send me a message through. We have a a dedicated messaging system, an instant messaging system in our office that they can get me that way, that sending me an email to tell me that I have a client in the lobby is not an appropriate way to to send me a message because they could be waiting a long time. Um, And so the way that I've started training the people people that in my life is, um, particularly, I have started, if possible, only responding to work related emails during work related hours. And I know that that may not be, you know, 100% possible that sometimes emergencies do happen. But if it's going to be an emergency, it's going to be what I define as an emergency and not what the sender of the email defines as an emergency.
1: Yeah, most off-hours email I get for work just goes immediately into that defer folder in same box till tomorrow or Monday.
0: Right. Or, yeah. If if um, on the off tan, you know, if I do happen to be working late and I'm I'm responding to emails just cuz I want to clear out my my folder cuz I'm I happen to be at the office anyway, um, what I will do is I'll use that send later plugin for mail so that that message won't actually send until the next work day. Until the morning yeah. of the next work day, so I at least can clear that off my plate, knowing that I've responded to it. Uh, but the email doesn't actually go out until the next work day. Yeah,
1: there's something to be said for not immediately responding to an email. Uh, there are some people out there that once you do that, you create an expectation, and uh, it you know it gets nuts. And we've covered this in past shows. I just wanted to say, Katie, earlier when you were saying how you're training people around you, and I, you've come a long way because I remember we had that conversation. Um, probably in show one, you know, of this show. maybe
0: I need to go back and listen to show one.
1: Yeah. Cause we had that guy con- and you were having a lot of trouble and you were really worried cause you were, people are sending me emails. I have to, you know, it's great to hear how far you've come, but, but what if Katie, you're doing that too? What if you're deferring emails and you are defining the relationship and you've still got too much email? What do you do then?
0: Select all and delete.
1: I mean, at some point, there's too much. There's just at some point for a lot of people, uh, despite your best use of superior technology, despite the fact that you sign up for a service like SaneBox and you do all this stuff, there's still too much and there's not enough time to deal with it all. Um, well, let's it,
0: let's talk about that a little bit next, um, because some of the things we can do is we can stop adding to the pile. We can stop generating unnecessary email. Um, you know, so there there's some things that you can do. But before we go there, do you want to talk about our last sponsor?
1: Okay. It's, it's, I was very excited to say something. So oh, oh, everybody, okay. everybody, hold on. No, hold I, want, on. I want you to hold on. I want you to hold on. All right. Because right now I want to talk about our last sponsor today, and that is our friends at Smile and probably my favorite app in the world, TextExpander. I use, I mean, when you think about the most amount of time saved in my life, it's probably Text Expander. You know, they've got that little uh, statistic there that keeps track for you. So, what Text Expander does is it allows you to create little snippets of text that you can expand upon with a very short uh, bit of typing. Like the easiest example is your phone number. Rather than having to get out the brackets and the dashes and all that to type your phone number, you just type like, a uh, phone with two P's and it expands to your phone number. It's a great idea. But then with text expander, you can take it so much further because they've built all this great back end tools in the thing. So you've got like fill in snippets where you can uh, create almost like a form letter where you type a little snippet and you can fill in the name of the person you're sending it to. And this number of widgets you're going to send them and all this stuff. Um. Uh, and, so that's what Text Expander does. It allows you to type faster on your Mac, iPhone, iPad, uh, and using these short abbreviations. The big problem was on the iOS side of the story was that it only worked in applications that would look at that text expander library. And because iOS is so specific, you know, you couldn't just make an application that would work across the entire platform. Apple's very concerned about security, but now we have these great keyboards, and the Text Expander iOS keyboard is perfect for this problem. You can activate it in any application, including apps like the Apple apps, like Apple Mail, and you can start using your Text Expander snippets right there. Um, uh, it Automatically insert your notes in mail, SMS, Twitter clients. You can copy and paste the message into other apps on your iOS devices. It's fantastic. And they they really delivered with this new version. It can sync your entire snippet library over Dropbox. So if you've created these great uh, um, snippets on your Mac, then you're going to see them as well on iOS via Dropbox. So you're just going to get it right there. Uh, and they have also added new features to allow your, organize your snippets and groups right on the iPhone, which is a lot of fun. So, you can get all this done with Text Expander. And we've talked about it for several years on the show. And if you've been listening to us and you haven't tried it yet, I want you to go over to uh, Smile and download a sample and try the software. Uh, start out with your Mac. You can download there. Also, I would recommend going over to slash te snippets. And I've got a whole library of snippets you can download there to get yourself rolling. We use them for everything from setting meetings to uh, doing conference calls. I mean, there's so much you can do with this software. And no matter what you're doing in your life, you're going to have some type of repeatable text. I just heard from a friend of the show and a friend of mine personally who has said, you know, I've been listening to this forever. He's a lawyer. And he said, I finally went ahead and downloaded it and I cannot believe how much time I'm saving because whatever job you have, if you're doing any kind of writing, you're going to need some way to get this repeatable snippets out. And Text Expander is the master of this. So go check it out. Thank you, Smile, for all of your support over the years to the show. And um, if you've got it on iOS, definitely get yourself hooked up with that new keyboard and the text expander touch because it's a total game changer. Now you can use your snippets anywhere on iOS. Thanks, Smile.
0: All right. I'm so sorry. You were excited about something and I
1: I am excited it, about something because this is the I guess this is the point. How far are we in now? Like an hour and a half.
0: Oh, yeah. This is where we should be wrapping up. But well, But it's email. But, so, you know.
1: I think this is the point that I've never made on this show about email is you're going to get to a point and it's very likely that you're one of these people having the same problem where you can get all the tools you want. You can use all the practices you want and you still get too much email. And, and at that point it stops becoming a technology problem. It becomes a you problem. And I know that in my own case, this is really hard for me. Because if someone stops and takes the trouble to send me an email, I'm not talking about a spam email, but someone who writes me about something we do on the show or whatever, um, I feel like I need to respond to that. And I have a problem that if I responded to all of it the way it deserves to be responded to, I would never publish another book. I would never, you know, I would never get anything else done. Right. And and, in some respects... It's, a, it's an attractive idea because it's usually people that agree with me about stuff or politely disagree. And it's a very fun interaction to have. And as I've said many times, the people that listen to the show are really smart and they've got great ideas. And it wouldn't it be great? I mean, why do we love Macworld so much? We, would, we liked it because we got to go up there and hang out with people like us. Well, we get email from people like us every day. So... You get to this problem where there's just more than you can physically manage. And the problem doesn't scale. In fact, the bigger the show gets or the bigger the books get, the harder the problem gets to deal with. And at some point, you run into the issue of there's more here than I can handle. And, you know, how do I handle that?
0: Well, at at some point, you've just got... To stop and and this was really this is why you need to listen to the analog show because uh, y- you can't respond to everything and as as much as I love getting the email some of it you've just got to smile and say well that was very nice and and archive it and and move on and some of it you've got to look and say whoa I can't read those three pages worth of of text or those three thousand words that were written but it was sure nice that they wrote archive it and. And move on. And I also I, I don't think you should feel bad about using some of the tools like text expander to respond to those things. I know we've gotten a few snarky emails from people at some point. You know when we respond to messages saying, "Is this really Katie Floyd or is this really David Sparks or is this some automated snippet that you put together?" You know, like it's like it's some bad thing. It's like, well, you know, maybe it's may, maybe I am sending you this. Maybe it's a snippet. Maybe it's not. But would you, would you rather me have, you know, said nothing? I, I don't know, but it's,
1: it's funny because every time I get accused of that, I do not actually use snippets. Right.
0: I know me too. <laughs> but,
1: uh, it's, it's, it's a tough problem. And I think partly this is a, you know, kind of a wham wah well, successful podcast. Yeah, and it too could much be a email. podcast
0: problem. So I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I I think everybody can be better at um at at trying to alleviate this problem you know and, and by stop generating unnecessary email um we're all guilty you know email has become such a convenient medium that we tend to be guilty of using it for things when it's it's not necessarily the most appropriate thing to use it for um you know I I have this assistant that um keyword being had there that I, I honestly believe that that she was just, did not like to talk people on the phone. And she would just, to the exclusion of anything else, avoid talking to people on the phone and send emails for everything. And it was really a barrier to getting work done because I thought, my gosh, you've sent 20 emails on this particular thing that could have been resolved with one phone call. And you know, so I, I would really challenge people to think with every email that they send to ask number one, is this email necessary? Do I really need, if I'm responding to an email, do I really need to reply to this email? Um, Or perhaps more importantly, is there a better medium that I can use to get this message across? Should I pick up the phone? And, and call this person. Um, do we need to schedule a meeting? I know you hate scheduling meetings. Um, heck, you know, in, in communities more like ours, um, would this be something better for Twitter? Would this be something better for, for Google Plus? Would this, you know, would this be better for something else? Um, and then if, if you decide that email is the appropriate medium for your message, um, keep it short and, and keep it to the point. Um, some people advocate the, the five sentence methodology, but don't send an email that says, hey, David, do you want to go to lunch next week? Because that's going to prompt you to send a message back to me that says, yeah, sure. When? And then I'm going to say, I don't know. How about Tuesday or Wednesday? And then you write back and say, hey, Tuesday sounds good. You know, instead, send an email that says, hey, David, do you want to go to dinner next week? How about Tuesday at the deli? You know,
1: that's a, what is this, the sandwich place. The sandwich I want to the, I go to the sandwich place with you, Katie Floyd. I think you should. Now, I, I agree. And all this is stuff that we've, we've kind of talked about and covered in the past. But I, I still think that there's this big problem of, you know what happens when there's too much. And I don't think it's just a podcaster problem, but there are people out there listening to this, this, have this high volume. And I guess kind of based on, you know, the process of writing that email book and my own experiences with my, you know, email journey and listening to Merlin and Dan talk for so many years on back to work. I think to me, the ultimate problem with high volume email becomes a self image problem. It's, to me, when I first started doing email, I said, sure, I'm that guy who always answers all my email. Because if someone wrote me a letter, I would write back as well. I'm you know, i not the guy who ignores stuff like this. And the problem is I built this self-image around it. And over the years, it's been harder and harder to maintain that. Or, the, or maybe at what I should say, the cost of maintaining that has gone up and up because there's so much email that, you know, is that image... To me, more important than publishing another book? Is it more important to me than saying, I want to go to the park with my daughter today and fly a kite? So it, it's a very difficult problem and there aren't easy answers to it. And, you know, I, I just think that as I sit here in 2014, one of my realizations is, I, I'm not going to solve this problem. You know, it, as it gets bigger, I'm going to get better at using technology, but at the same point, it's going to be part on me to just figure out what gets answered and what doesn't like, like for feedback on our show, when someone writes feedback and says, Hey, I really liked it. I think, you know, you should have considered this app or, you know, or I really just really liked it. I'm going to respond to stuff like that because it's easy. But when someone that listens to our show writes and says, my office has an exchange 2013 installation, and I have a problem with this, I'm probably not going to respond to it because (laughs) if I stopped and did technical support for the entire internet, um, we would probably lose our house, you know, so it's uh, so that, you know, I'm I'm figuring it out as I go along. And I guess everybody, what I would encourage you if you're out there and you're struggling with email is to go beyond the technology a little bit and ask yourself, you know, what's underlying all of this, because that may be the biggest problem you need to solve.
0: And you know what? We didn't even get to any of the inbox zero stuff. Well,
1: we've covered it before.
0: Mm. I'm just saying we had a whole lot more we could have talked about, but
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it's email. It's never ending. We'll do another email show in a, in a year or so. Yeah. Cause it's, it's email. All right. Another, you know,
1: can I just say at the end though, after having gone on this rant about email, Email is still a great medium. It is. I mean, there's a reason why it's still out there. Uh, every once in a while, you start hearing on the internet how email is going to go away and it's going to get replaced. It's a it's a time-deferred way to communicate. I, I think there's a lot about it that I really like. Anyway.
0: 224 is in the can, David. 225. Wow. It's coming up next.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, you know what? It'll be a great one.
0: This This podcast thing, it'll never last a year.
1: <laughs> no, you said 10 episodes. 10 e- what you told me, <laughs> that what you told me that we'd run out of material after 10 episodes.
0: <laughs> well, heck, we'll do 10 episodes just on email by the time we're done with this this show. Yeah. All right. Um, well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this email episode, as well as all of our previous email episodes at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5 x TV slash MPU. Although I will tell you on the, on the 5x5 website, you, it doesn't go all the way all the way back into our archives like our website does because I think that just picks up from about show 50-ish or so when we moved over to 5x5 yeah
1: I, I don't I think it's a moving target a little bit
0: yeah yeah uh, but you can find all the links over at macpowerusers.com uh, you can also in, if you don't want to send us an email uh, you can find us on Twitter the show is at macpowerusers uh, David is at macsparky and I'm at Katie Floyd that's a great way to communicate with us in 140 characters or on less.
1: Yeah, and um, and that's it. We're going to see you next week. Uh, thanks to our sponsors: Launchbar, Text Expander, Automatic, and Squarespace. See you all next week.